Those of you that were here last Sunday, you uh, remember that the challenge that we received around the, particularly around the ministry of, of evangelism, of sharing the good news um, of Jesus with others and inviting them to, to join with us, to follow um, after him. And as I thought about uh, that, um, one of the things, there are many things that came to mind, I'll share a few more later, but one of the things is, why do people become Christians? You know, why, what, what reason, you, you might have your own um, reason if you're here and as a follower of Jesus, a way that you're um, a Christian. Some of you may be here who aren't Christians and you have reasons why you're not or reasons that you're contemplating about becoming um, a Christian. And so what I thought I would do just to find out a little about that is I you know, did modern day research on that question, which means I googled why do people become Christians? And what was most interesting was that most of the articles, actually the first two pages of articles. Um, yes, I'm one of those that even clicks to the next page um, uh, with Google. Most of the articles were about why people aren't Christians. Uh, Most of the articles were saying why people are leaving Christianity. That that, that became really the preponderance of information when I was looking for why do people become Christians. So then all the more made me think, huh, this is really good that we're beginning a series in the book of Acts, the, the, the story of the early church, the, the story that starts after Jesus, after you know, he's, he's died, he's been raised, and then he's ascended into heaven. The passage we'll read, we'll talk about him ascending to heaven. Well, then the disciples are left. You know, the, there's 120 folks that are his followers. Now they're, they're left now to, to share this with others and to... See what happens. Well, and in that day, there were a whole, it, there were a whole lot of reasons for people not to be Christians. Matter of fact, I can't think of a reason, humanly speaking, why anyone would become a Christian. Um, in, in those days, there, there were people, I mean, it was, it was a pagan world then. You know, it was the, the, the cultural societal norms uh, were that there were a lot of different gods. And um, a lot of different temples. And, and that was sort of what you were born in is what you were a part of. And those were your family idols and different things like that that were a part of the religious culture of the day. Um, so much so that, that Christians and also you know their closest religious relative, the Judaism, they were considered and even called in letters in those days, they were called atheists. Because they didn't believe in the gods. Uh, foolishly, they only believed in one God. And who wants one God when you can have 20? And uh, so a lot of people, you know, you wouldn't want to do that. They were also um, considered cannibals. And if you know a little bit about Christianity, in particular on days when you have communion, we eat the body and drink the blood. Yeah, and so there were a lot of things going around there about this crazy, and it was considered this weird religion. I mean, there were only 120 
people that were a part of it. It was this weird religion um, uh, that was an atheist. They were cannibalists. And they were a part of, somehow they were a sect, some weird division of that other weird religion, Judaism. So you can imagine if the tables were switched. You know, there are pagans in the world today that, that worship at different temples and those kind of things have pagans today. And, you know, if you consider that, most people would say, man, that's really sort of weird. They believe there's a bunch of different gods still. Yeah, still there. Well, in the first century, the beginning of the church, the tables were totally turned. Christianity wasn't just weird. It was the weirdest of the weirds. And they even did really um, crazy stuff. Like they said, uh, and again, you see these in letters in these days about people that were not Christians. They, they would say that, that, again, it was a very male-centered world, that men could not have sexual relations with anyone else but their wives. Well, that was not the cultural practice of the day. I mean, in those, those days, men could have sexual relations appropriately with anybody, with any other um, woman that was not married to another man. You know, so people that weren't married, temple prostitutes, that's okay. So why this weird religion? And on top of that, this weird religion goes and rescues infants that are put on the garbage heap. It was Common occurrence in first century that if you didn't have the resources to, to feed another mouth, then what you did is you took that child and you put them on the garbage heap. And usually would die from infant exposure. Other times, other people, maybe even worse, would come and take the baby and then raise to be a temple prostitute or a slave. And Christians, weird ones, they would go and pick up those babies and raise them as their own. So all the, the social, uh, all the societal, all the cultural norms were saying, this is a weird, looney tune religion that's going to make you do weird things like that. On top of that, being the mi- minority religion, they were the easy scapegoat. So the Roman government of the day was occupying the land. And regularly, when things would go wrong, the economy would go down, let me just blame the Christians. And let's go take them out, put them in jail, kill them. They're the reason for the problem. Or if a fire, big fire, ah, the Christians were the arsonists that did this. Let's scapegoat them. I mean, so all this is, is the, the, the cultural milieu of that day. So why in the world then would anybody become a Christian? And how in the world did it move from that 120 people to being the largest religion in the world today? That's what we're going to look to see. What do we learn from this story of the early church on this journey that we say is hazardous? I mean, you will get kicked out of your family. You will get thrown out of your country. You can be thrown in jail and you can be thrown to the lion's. It can even be deadly. It is hazardous, but it is secure because we know it's the work of God. Well, well, what happened? How did that work then? 
And today we'll look, we'll look at the very beginning of that story in uh, the uh, cha- first chapter of the book of Acts. It's found on page 909 in your pew Bible, or you can follow along whatever form you have a Bible, or you can read along on the, the screen. We'll read the first 11 uh, verses of the first chapter. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, again, we thank you for your written word as it speaks to us of your truth. Now may the power of your Holy Spirit indeed um, fill us with that word, change us, transform us, uh, guide us to know you, to love you, and to follow you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, uh, Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, key key thing right there, you know, so... The, the writer in this is named Luke, and he wrote a gospel, Luke. And he, he's saying, now this is my second book, and this is what I'm telling I'm going to tell you what happens after Jesus' ascension. But in that short period of time, those 40 days, he's telling us he's preaching about the kingdom of God. He's taking that last 40 days to tell his 120, this is the way of God. This is the way that God wants us to live together. Um, and... This is the way you're going to be my followers. So I, I like to say, this is the way you're going to be shaped like me. That we're, we're to be a people, just then, shaped by Jesus, for Jesus, and like Jesus. That's what it means to be the kingdom of God. So it means to be the church. And he's setting that out at the very beginning. You're living according to the kingdom of God. Remember that, because we'll come back to it in a moment. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so um, we, he's been preaching the kingdom of heaven with him. Now he's going up to heaven. And the key verse here is, is the key beginning verse for why did anyone become a Christian that is through Jesus-shaped people who are witnesses of him everywhere they go, even to the ends of the world. 
Jesus says, that's the key verse in this. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses everywhere you go, even to the ends of the earth. So you're going to be, this is the way, why people become Christians. It's not by the power of the world. It's not by the, the power of human ingenuity. It's not by the power of our creativity. It is by the very power of the Holy Spirit that people will become Christians. And you, you see that in there uh, when the disciples said, is this the time that the kingdom of Israel is going to come? Yeah, because what, what the disciples want then, what they're thinking is, oh, this is what's going to happen. We're going to flip things on their head. You know, Rome has been the ruling power, and so therefore everybody's pagan because that's what Rome says. And so because they got the power, that's what everybody's got to be. So now he's going to take us and he's going to put us on top. We're going to have the power and we're going to make everybody follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, this is not about your kingdom. This is about the kingdom of God. This is about the way of following God. This is about you being shaped by me, for me, and like me. Living into the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by the power of this world. The power of the Spirit will show itself by your Jesus-shaped lives, and then you will be witnesses. You, you will encounter Jesus. You will walk with me. You will hear my teaching. You'll be blessed by me. You'll be shaped by me. And then you will share with others. You'll be a witness to that encounter with the living Lord. What you've seen, what you've heard, what you've smelled, what you've experienced. Now you, you go and share that everywhere you go, even to the ends of the earth. The Spirit will empower you to do that. Now that just assumes, to be a witness, what that assumes is that they had an encounter with Jesus. That they indeed had been shaped by Him. It requires that they were on the scene with Him. Had personal experience. When we think about a witness, we think about a courtroom scene, right? And a witness goes in the courtroom and what do they give they give their testimony. And the church has stolen that word, and we say testimonies are the day that you came to know Jesus. Well, no, the testimony is any situation in which you encountered him, in which you were blessed by him, in which he shaped you and formed you and taught you and blessed you. That's any situation that you've had with him, any personal encounter. And then you simply share that with others. That's what he's saying there to do. And what he says, we're to do. Um, uh, Thursday, I was down at the um, Freedom Center, the Underground Railroad Museum, you know, down there right across the street from Big Ferris Wheel. What's that called? Star Wheel or something. Um, and uh, I, as I left, there was a big crowd on the street. Now, I knew something was going on when I got there um, because there were a bunch of roads blocked and tents were starting to get set up. And then I realized, oh, yeah, it's Oktoberfest. So as I walk out, I see the big crowd. And uh, um, right on that street, they're like, oh, what's going on? There were TV cameras. There were um, uh, uh, newspaper folks taking pictures. And it was the wiener dog race. You know, so, so they, they get all the dachshunds and other little dogs, you know, and then put a, a hot dog bun on them. 
and make them run from one end of the street to the other end of the street. Yeah. And so like, oh, this would be cool. Let me go watch and see this. And they're having different heats go around. And they on their at one time, Roscoe, Roscoe didn't win, but he got lost. So somewhere that he was out in the crowd and they're like, hey, everybody look for Roscoe, runaway dog with a inside a bun. And just bring Roscoe over. Uh, we're looking for him. Eventually we found him. And we had the finals of the wiener dog race. And on one end uh, of the, the street, there's the dog with the owners. I'm going to... Dog with the owners. And they're, they're holding the dog back. And at the other end is uh, um, somebody that represents that dog. Uh, maybe it is their owner or something. Calling the dog's name. Waving its favorite toy. I think one person really had a stake. That they were waving at their, their dog, a, a piece of meat that they were waving at them. And so until the horn goes. And so at the, the final heat, the, the championship wiener dog race for all of Cincinnati, I'm looking up there, got uh, weaseled my way in to look. And one of the, the dogs, and I, it's the dog that won actually, is being held by its owner. Just about right, right just a couple inches, it's paws, just a couple inches from the ground. And somebody's calling the dog's name and they're waiting for the horn. And as they're sitting there, the dog is just doing this in midair. You know, he's just going like this. The horn sounds, they drop the dog, boom, he's gone, boom, out like a cannon, shoots and wins the thing going away. Now I had to, to be there to, to witness this event. And then I can simply share that story with you And there may be some of you that say, hey, that sounds fun. I'm going to go next year. That's simply what it is to be a witness. You just share the good news. You just share how have you encountered, been shaped by Jesus. And you share that with others and invite them. You want to experience the same. Now, one of the the, the challenges in, in this is that it requires that we're having experiences with Jesus. The, the very challenge um, with this is uh, that we can't let our relationship with Jesus be on autopilot. And that can happen. That, that I can see it. It's happened in my own life. And it usually takes something. To then make that autopilot um, get back uh, to be turned off and put it back in my hands. One of those uh, uh, events happened recently, just last Sunday. And for those of you that were here, we received a, a prescription from a transformation consultation. And as I mentioned at, at the beginning, um, it, it was one that charged us, challenged us with the ministry of evangelism. That, um, and challenged us in the sense of, you know, you have not been led in a way that leads to a ministry of evangelism. And uh, we, we must do something differently because as a church for 25 years we've been on a decline. I had two responses Initially, one was really my true nature, which is not a good thing. But my true nature, who I really am at my core, is to say, all right, buddy, 
I'll show you. I'll show you that this can be done. And I'll come. I won't wave it in your face. I just might walk by you smiling. And like I said, that's, that's not good. The other one, uh, other response was, where can I hide? Where, where, maybe, I think I'm feeling sick. I think I'm going to go to the hospital. You know, maybe, you know, it's time to move on. Because, you know, the challenge was, you know, for the leadership, for, for me and for staff and for elders as well, it's like, hey, you know, if, if this doesn't happen in two years, then it's time for you to move on. Which, as an aside, I, I, that's a good point. I'm totally with that. For the sake of the, the church, large church, big C. For the sake of this particular church. For the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of the lost. Yeah, if that doesn't change, then man, we need to make other changes. So that does happen. But, in the midst of all of that, I spent some time with Jesus. Spent some time in his words. Spent some time listening and just reflecting. And what came to rest in the power of the Spirit was a reality, a remembrance that Jesus is filled with grace and mercy and power. And that in Him, there is peace for your soul. Even in the times of uncertainty and great challenge. And plus, that uncertainty and great challenge pales in comparison to what we've already been talking about in the the first century. Almost laughable. But that reality of that encounter with Jesus was simply in my soul hearing him say, I got you. You Remember, I had you then, I had you then, I had you then. I got you now. You, You may fail. It may not work. Jesus is speaking to my soul. But I'm not going to fail. What I'm about is for sure to happen. Yes, it's hazardous, but it is certain. So why don't you practice faith? Trust. Depend on me. Because remember, this this isn't the kingdom of Drew. This is the kingdom of God. So in that, you know, Jesus was shaping me. And then I get to be a witness to him by sharing that with others. I can tell my unbelieving friends and my believing friends of how Jesus is shaping me and real in my life. See, and that's what, that's really what evangelism is. That's what, what's happened here. That's what Jesus is the orders he's giving to his people but just go and be, tell them what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced with me. Because people don't need gigantic, most, most folks don't need um, uh, explanations of doctrine and theology. They, they want to know how Jesus has changed you. How he's given you life. How he's led you to flourish in him. How, how you have been shaped by him. Because what Jesus, he, he knew then... He's known all along. Um, what we really know now, and that is the best way to share good news is by word of mouth. That it goes from person to person. 
And every study, I mean, study after study after study shows that that wins. Even today, that wins. That's better than Yelp. That's better than any social media. That's better than celebrities. That's better than commercials. That's better than any, any kind of pervasive, um, persuasive technique that's used. Simply word of mouth. I had that uh, yesterday. Um, Kathy and I um, uh, were uh, coming back from my uh, youngest child's rugby game. And um, we had heard from uh, um, uh, Barton Penny Sour, some of you may know, um, that there's a really good barbecue place. Now, it's right next to, uh, or it's connected to, it's in the same building as a gas station. Now, that does not, you know, my refined wife, that does not encourage her. You know, in a gas station. Anybody, yeah, it's in a gas station, but somebody told us that it was good. Now, for me, you know, I'm sort of a hick from Alabama. And so, I know, yeah, garbage or gas stations and uh, barbecue places, they go together. Yeah, I can see that. But we would not have gone there uh, if we hadn't heard. From Barton Penny. Hey, this place is good. So go and stop there. And we did. And they were right. Jesus knew that it was by word of mouth. Uh, you know, like I said, you don't need the pyrotechnics. You, you don't need the, the poetry. You don't need the huge explosions. You just need Jesus-shaped people. To share, to, to share how Jesus has shaped them by the way they act and by the stories they tell. Now, I ran across this. Um, Eugene Romanovsky is a visual artist. means he, he makes movies. Um, and uh, he needed to sell his 96 Suzuki car. All right? And so he, using his gifts, put together a two-minute video. Alright, and on this, this video, he's gonna try to use all these gifts to sell his car. Now, I think, um, it worked, um, eventually in the first, oh, here we go. This is his video. The, the video goes on for uh, another minute. Um, he's actually about to take off to go to the moon. You can get on YouTube and watch it later. But uh, that's... Uh, there you go. He gets to the moon. So, the, uh, the point here is that did he eventually sell his car? And even though he'd um, done all these things, 
He did eventually sell the car. Had offers from all over the world. But he sold it to a guy that lived in his neighborhood. And he came by, though, had the asking price, saw it, wanted it. All right, I'm going to buy it. And so then, you know, uh, Eugene, you know, so how'd you like the video? And the guy said, oh, man, what video? <laughs> guy didn't even know the video existed. He didn't need a video. He didn't need the pyrotechnics. He needed the car. A real live car in front of him to do for him what he needed to do. People don't need pyrotechnics. They don't need the video. They need real lives. We need real people simply sharing our story with others. Telling them of how Jesus has changed our lives. I'll take that as an amen. Yeah. For us who believe in Jesus, then it's a matter of saying, well, what are our stories? Have I gone on autopilot? I don't mean the stories of 20 years ago. I mean the stories of today. And maybe it's just a matter of being more attentive of being more intentional in your own walk with Jesus. Yeah, what is Jesus teaching me? How is he blessing me? How is he leading me to life? How is he challenging me? How is he shaping me? For him and like him. And just recognizing those and being attentive to the the times and possibilities of simply sharing them with others. This is Jesus' plan for the early church. This is why people became Christians. Because they encountered Jesus-shaped people. And they wanted to be shaped by Him too. They, They wanted to know His love and His beauty and His truth. Just like the other people, empowered by the Spirit, were sharing with them. And this is the good news. I mean, yeah, it's hazardous, but it is totally secure because as we've said, it was a huge success and still is today. So we walk through these next several weeks, next couple months, we'll be looking at these, these stories and others about a hazardous journey of those who've gone before us, but the total security that they have in Him. Maybe your, your question at lunch today, is to consider, what are your stories? What is, what is the story of how Jesus is real in your life today? And for those that are followers of Jesus, you need to have those stories ready. For, for those of you that aren't followers, who are wondering about them, you're, you're, you're hungry to hear, how has this made a difference in you? Or you, or you wouldn't be here if you weren't. So we don't go witnessing, but we are witnesses shaped by Jesus sharing our story with him. That's what Jesus asked him to do then. He asked us to do now. And it's what people who don't know Jesus need. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray together.